Hello, hello. I'm Michelle Archibald, and this is I'm Doing My Fucking Best, a mental health podcast for anyone and everyone. So today's episode, we're going to focus on how and why medications used for anxiety and depression can work to stabilize people who are suffering from these mood disorders. Um, So first of all, we need to go into a little science background about brain chemistry before we can talk about the medications so we can understand what's going on in your brain and how these medications can work. Um, I'm sure everyone has heard the phrase, it's all in your head. And yes, I like to think this is true because inside your head is your brain and your brain is the most complex organ in your body and we still don't know everything that's going on in there. But what do we know? So we know that the brain is the master of the nervous system and our nervous system is a bunch of nerves that are connected and they're sending messages to and from our brain and the environment and what we should do about what we're seeing in this environment. Um, And how they send these messages is through something called a neurotransmitter. So neurotransmitters are chemicals and they're going in between the nerves and helping the signal go along either from the brain to your body to do something or back to the brain from your body sensing something in the environment. So if you break it down, the word neurotransmitter, neuro means brain and transmitter transmitter means sending. Um, So you can think of it like that. So when the signal is going through the nervous system, what's happening is that these neurotransmitters, these chemicals, get quote-unquote spit out from one nerve ending and then absorbed or quote-unquote eaten up by the second nerve. Um, So let's say nerve one is spitting out the chemicals and nerve two takes it in. So the chemical that's getting like spit out is kind of like free-floating in between these nerves. So after the second nerve takes up as much as it can of that chemical, the rest of the chemical gets reabsorbed by nerve one. So it's kind of like recycled back in. Um, So one example to think of and to try to like understand what these neurotransmitters are is the adrenaline rush. So adrenaline is a neurotransmitter. So it's released when your body needs to make like a, a decision, an immediate response to the environment that it's seeing. It's your fight or flight response. So let's say you see like a predator, like a bear or a lion, you need to do something fast because this is an animal that's presenting an immediate threat to your life potentially so this neurotransmitter is like you better move that's probably the best idea to do right now and to do it immediately it also is a neurotransmitter that says yeah you can fight too but in this situation i don't think fighting is the best option for our survival so in the most case scenario you're probably just gonna run and adrenaline is what helps you make that decision before you quote unquote can even like think about it so there are a bunch of these neurotransmitters but we're just gonna focus on three that are implicated in mood disorders, specifically anxiety and depression. So these are serotonin, dopamine, and norepinephrine. So norepinephrine, you can also call noradrenaline. So it's paired with adrenaline if that's easier to remember by. So low levels of all three of these have been linked to anxiety and depression. I thought this was interesting when I was reading about it because I always thought anxiety and depression were two ends of a spectrum. So anxiety, you know, you can associate with like heart racing, you're kind of like on edge and depression is more low, like you have the blues, you don't really want to do anything. But both of them are linked with low levels of the same neurotransmitters. So that is why we'll learn later that anxiety and depression, their first line medications are the same. So they can be treated the same way or with the same ideology behind it. All right. So it has been shown that stabilizing levels of these neurotransmitters with medication has been associated with mood symptom improvement. So this is awesome. 
but unfortunately it's not as easy as that one sentence. So one treatment does not fit all, and certain medications will work for someone, but not someone else, even if they suffer from the same mood disorder. And these medications can abruptly stop working after several years. But this awareness of brain chemistry and manipulating these low levels with medication has significantly improved treatment for mental health disorders, including myself. So you may be asking, okay, cool, so why don't we just check which chemicals need to be stabilized, like which ones are lower in patients, and customize treatment for them? That would be absolutely amazing, except there's no consistent or accurate way right now to measure them at this time in a clinical setting. So there is a lot of research going on, but they're using ways that would not really be feasible to use on patients, um, and they are not cost-effective at this time. So it's being used more in like research situations, but hopefully, you know, sometime soon it can be applied in a clinical setting and that would really improve treatment. The good news though is that there are first line, aka top choice medications um, that have helped a lot of people over the past decades and continue to improve. So before we get into those medications, let's talk about those three neurotransmitters that I mentioned earlier. So dopamine. Dopamine is linked with the the positive feeling feeling or like the good feelings you get that are associated with reward or reinforcement. Um, so getting that feeling doing a certain activity causes us to want to continue that task or activity. So decreased levels of dopamine are linked to a lower mood state. Um, it's not a first line target for anxiety and depression, but it is targeted in Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's and other mood disorders, which will be in another episode. Um, and I'm talking about disorders such as bipolar or schizophrenia. Um, and the reason it works in Alzheimer's and Parkinson's too is that it's involved in movement and coordination. So we'll see in a lot of these neurotransmitters, they are involved in a lot of things. All right, so the second one is norepinephrine, also known as noradrenaline, and it's involved in the fight or flight response along with adrenaline. Low levels though are linked to depression and too much of this type of neurotransmitter has been associated with mania or anxiety. So mania is, um, again, something we'll talk about later, but it's a highly overactive state that can occur in bipolar disorder. Um, so drugs that target this neurotransmitter are helpful with depression, um, but they're also helpful in anxiety with associated depression. So a lot of times anxiety and depression come together um, it's not just one or the other. So you can target this in people with anxiety and depression together. All right, serotonin. This is kind of the mother load. It is responsible for the feel-good feelings. And low levels are associated with both anxiety and depression. They also, if you have low levels of serotonin, it can cause low levels of norepinephrine to occur as well. So by raising serotonin, we're increasing these feel-good feelings but we're also indirectly raising norepinephrine. Um, so drugs that target this neurotransmitter, serotonin, are first line for both anxiety and depression. So before we get into the meds, what causes these low levels? Like why do some people have low levels and others don't? So this is the complexity of the entire problem and why one method won't help another person. Um, one size does not fit all. It's a multifactorial cause and some unknowns are still to be discovered. But what we do know is that low levels can be caused by genetics, poor diet, lifestyle, and by lifestyle I mean not exercising, not sleeping well or not getting enough sleep, drinking alcohol, using drugs, life experiences, 
Um, so this includes, you know, how you were raised, your childhood, what kind of environment you grew up into. External environment kind of goes hand in hand with that. So some people are in states of chronic stress, prolonged stress, that can kind of burn out the amount of neurotransmitters you have. Or trauma. Trauma can occur at any point in your life. So we're talking about, you know, how you were raised, PTSD, um, anything like that can kind of, you know, just like chronic stress. Um, they're prolonged periods of feeling stressed out and that can kind of burn out your pathways, so to speak. Also, the last one, um, hormonal imbalance. So we see these in people with thyroid disorders. Also, after having um, a baby giving birth, you can have postpartum depression. So until your hormones kind of can get back into their normal state, it's like, I want to say 80% of women are going to have the baby blues for at least two weeks. So how do we raise these levels? Medication plus therapy. So again, medication isn't going to be for everybody, but in a lot of people that need to kind of stabilize, medication is going to help. Um, again, it's not an end-all cure-all or a miracle cure, but it can help you stabilize your anxiety or depression so you can do the work in therapy that you need to develop coping skills, work through any traumas, change your lifestyle, wait for your hormones to balance out. Um, so it's it's a tool in the toolbox. It is not an end-all be-all, and I just want to emphasize that. Um, but medication and therapy together can be very important tools in improving your mental health. So what are the top-line medications for anxiety and depression? Number one, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. That is a mouthful. We'll call them SSRIs for short. So what that means is it's going to selectively target serotonin levels and raise them. So what does the reuptake re inhibitor part mean? So if you remember, we were talking about how nerve one spits out the neurotransmitter and nerve two absorbs it. And then anything left over gets reabsorbed by nerve one. So this is where these SSRIs are gonna come in. They're gonna prevent nerve one from sucking back the extra neurotransmitter back into it. So that way you're gonna have more serotonin kind of free floating. So nerve two has more time to absorb more of the serotonin. So that's how it raises those serotonin levels. If that didn't make any sense, let's just say you're getting more serotonin, which is gonna give you the feel-good feelings, which when your levels are low, you're lacking. All right, so what medications are these that you might recognize? So these medications are your Prozac, your Zoloft, your Lexapro, your Celexa, probably the ones you see the most commercials about. Um, so how do you take these and how do they work? So I know personally I avoided medication for years because I was under the impression that it would make you like a zombie or you would gain a lot of weight and that there's just all these side effects. Um, and I know they have to tell them in the commercials, but this type of medication, SSRIs, they have a very, very low side effect panel. Um, so they're, that's also probably why they're a top line. Um, you take them daily. They're non-addictive and they don't cause any drowsiness, any zombie type feelings like I was worried about. Um, they do take several weeks to fully take effect and you can't just stop taking them because you can get withdrawal from them. So you, you taper off of them and that's what your psych psychiatrist would help you do. And by withdrawal, I mean you can get like flu-like symptoms. Um, it's not the same as like alcohol withdrawal. It's just the same idea as like you're taking away something from your body that's used to having. So that's why you slowly get off of the medication with the help of your provider. Um, and then, so there's two big things to look out for on these medications. They're not common. Um, 
but they're the big ones that you need to look out for. So the first one is serotonin syndrome, which is what I suffered from, actually. So when you have too much serotonin, it can actually cause you to have anxiety-like symptoms at the low level. So sweating, agitation, nausea. Um, and then at the high-end levels, it can progress into seizures, brain damage, death. Um, but it, like, you'll know that there's something wrong. If you're thinking about talking to your doctor and trying some of these, this is not a very common situation if you're being prescribed a, a normal dosage. So for me, I was on double the max of what is um, supposed to be allowed for your dosage. So that was a big tip off that, you know, it was probably serotonin syndrome. Um, and then the other major warning with this medication is suicidal ideation in anyone under 25 years old. Um, so again, this is where you got to weigh the risk versus benefits if you're a young adult or if you're a parent with a child that is just suffering so much. Um, so it can cause thoughts of suicide in this age group. So just they must be monitored very closely during this time and questioned a lot and watch for their for any change in behavior. Um, all right. So then the second class is serotonin norepinephrine reuptake inhibitors or SNRI for short. So reuptake inhibitors. So it's working the same way as the SSRIs by keeping more of the neurotransmitter available for your nerve two to take in. But this type of class does not just affect serotonin, it affects norepinephrine as well. So this is going to help increase both of those neurotransmitter le levels. They're typically used for depression and chronic pain, but it can be very helpful in anxiety with associated depression like me. So I'm actually on one of these right now. Um, so again, just remember that if you have high levels of norepinephrine, it can actually cause anxiety and mania symptoms. So this is not a good choice for anxiety alone, but it does work well if you have depression with it. I gotta say it works very well for me. Um, again, one size does not fit all. I'm just adding in my own personal experience to see if that helps anyone at all. So which one are these? These are your Cymbalta, Effexor, Wellbutrin. Um, I feel like Wellbutrin is probably the most well-known one. Wellbutrin is the one I'm on. It has the lowest side effects of all the SNRIs. It's safe in the elderly, so it's often one chosen for them. And it has the lowest risk of causing mania in anyone who has anxiety or bipolar, anything like that. And if you do suffer from mania from it, it's the most mild version of it compared to the other SNRIs. Okay, the third class of medication, this is the least common one, or at least that I've seen and researched. So these are mood stabilizers that are called antipsychotics. So don't let that name freak you out or anything. Um, it's called that because it's used mostly in like bipolar or schizophrenia for psycho psychosis. So psychosis is just like the word psychotic, I feel like has been just misused a lot. So psychosis is when um, you get to this point where you're not really in touch with reality. It happens in mania. Um, and then in psychosis or in schizophrenia, when people think that like they're being talked to, they're being told things to do that aren't actually happening. So that's why they're called antipsychotics. They work very well for for that type of mood disorder, which um, will be a whole other episode because I feel like that is a very important one to get into because it has the most stigma and misunderstanding about it. Okay, so anyways, back to anxiety and depression. So these mood stabilizers, antipsychotics, they can help augment an SSRI or SNRI for the treatment of depression, but they're not typically used alone. 
um, for depression or anxiety. So by augment, I mean that you're getting some relief from the medication you're on, but you could use a little help. So these antipsychotics improve the progress you've already been making on these medications. So it affects the amount of dopamine and serotonin in a pretty complex manner. So we're not going to get into that here now. Um, but basically, it's going to also help improve the serotonin levels that you're already trying to get to. And this is involving dopamine, which is not typically used for anxiety and depression. So which ones are these? These are your Abilify, Seroquel, Rexalti. Um, so I'm sure you've seen those on commercials. So just to kind of apply it to a real life situation, I was recently put on Abilify to help augment well, my Wellbutrin and help stabilize my mood from kind of bouncing from one extreme to the other. Um, and I'm on a place where there's not a lot of stressors right now, but it's kind of helping stabilize my mood at baseline so I can use coping skills to work when I do have stressors. Okay, and then acute anxiety. So what we mean by that is like panic attacks or you're just having a really bad anxiety episode like one day. Um, so in the past, I mean, they're still used now, but benzos like Ativan and Xanax, they're used for acute anxiety. Um, as providers, we try to avoid those now for long-term use because it has been linked to Alzheimer's and dementia if you use these long-term. So it's recommended for use no longer than two weeks at a time. So it is, you know, indicated like say you lost someone very close to you and you can't sleep. Like, yes, that is an appropriate use of a benzo. You need to sleep and get through this difficult time. But long-term use, it's just gonna, it's just gonna hurt you more in the, the long-term run. Um, and these medications make you drowsy, sleepy, you can't function really, or like drive a car or work anything while you're on them. So a newer medication is propranolol. Um, so it's not actually new as a medication, but it's been used for acute anxiety, um, kind of as a off-label use now. And so propranolol, it's used in high blood pressure usually, and it can help calm your body's response to anxiety when it feels unmanageable or you're heading towards a panic attack. Um, I use it a lot right now while I'm trying to like get back on my feet. It's safe to use every day if you need it. Uh, it does not make you sleepier out of it. You can function normally. So... A lot of times in the morning I wake up and I'm already like anxious. My heart is racing. I can feel the anxiety rising in my body. So I'll take some and it like tricks your body into a calm state. So it'll lower my heart from racing um, and I won't be like sweating as much. And I know that's kind of gross, but you know when you're anxious and your heart's racing, you're just kind of like in that fight or flight mode. So the propranolol brings me into a calmer state. So my body's calm, so then my brain's like, oh. Like, there's nothing to be anxious about. Your body's not freaking out right now, so let's just kind of calm down. Again, it's not a miracle drug, and it does not get rid of my anxiety. Um, but it does help kind of calm my body down so I can function and use the coping skills that I've learned in therapy. Um, a lot of performers, like music performers, they use these if they have stage fright. Because, you know, if you get that trembling voice, the tremors, the shakiness when you're really nervous... Um, that's going to affect your performance. So they actually have been using this for, for years to kind of calm down before they go on stage. Okay, so that's just kind of a quick review of medications used for anxiety and depression. I know it was a lot of information, but I hope it kind of helps illustrate that brain chemistry really is altered in people with mental health disorders. Um, and it's not something that you can just get over in a lot of cases. And medication can be a powerful tool in helping people feel stabilized and to get to a point where they can do the work in therapy. It got me to a point where I knew I was going to live and be okay, 
and it got me to a point where I was able to work through trauma and learn really important coping skills and therapy. If anybody wants to know more about these medications or any other medications, please feel free to contact me. I love talking about this stuff. I just don't want to overwhelm you in a podcast. Um, So next episode, we're going to discuss the body-mind connection and how taking care of your body can help you more than you can even possibly imagine. It changed my mental state. Um, And so we're going to talk about how taking care of yourself physically can actually help your mind and vice versa. Your body and your mind are very well connected. Um, So I'm going to try and have that out next week. And to sign off, here is the quote of the day. It's from Marie Curie, and I think it's pretty fitting for this episode. Nothing in life is to be feared. It is only to be understood. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.